and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over in Jerusalem, over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart was still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought, bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eye desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. What then have I been, why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of, as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the, wi how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity 
and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled, and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can eat or have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, He has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? As we come to these words, we trust that they are gifts from you. We trust that they are good, that they are right, that they will lead us to you and lead us to life. But it's hard to trust that sometimes. These words are weighty. They feel sad and, and depressing and frustrating. And so we need your help. We pray that you would give us understanding and clarity, but more than that, would you give us the humility to receive your voice and to be changed by the power of your Spirit. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week at the end of our service, we watched a video, we watched a time-lapse video of a group of guys building the deck at the bottom of the stairs just right outside here. And I was thinking about that genre of filmmaking, the, the time-lapse video. And I think one of the reasons that we are attracted to watching something like that is, is because, well, well, to say it rather ineloquently, it's because we like to see stuff get done. The time-lapse video touches just a little bit our hunger for accomplishment. And that hunger is what the teacher in the text that we just read is exploring. The hunger to step back from life and say, I have accomplished something. I have taken profit, gain from what I have done. And so the teacher shows us his own time-lapse video. And he says, look at all that I have accomplished. Look at all that I have done. And he does this by way of what's called a royal testament. So as scholars 
archaeologists, historians have studied the ancient world, they have found documents. And these documents sound a lot like what we read in Ecclesiastes just a few minutes ago. And so a king from somewhere will say, hey, I am Tiglath-Pileser of the Assyrians. All right, That's a real person. I have a professor who named his cat Tiglath-Pileser of the Assyrians. Okay, so I'm, I'm Tiglath-Pileser, I'm of the Assyrians, and look at all the great things I've done. Look at all the houses that I've built. Look at all the gardens, the vineyards that I've planted. Look how I have gained wisdom. Look how I have gained wealth. Look at all the women that I've had. Look at all the slaves that I've had. Look at all the pleasure I've had. Look at all of the art that I've created, the musicians that I've been able to hire. And of course, the purpose of these documents is to say, I'm important. This person matters. This person has weight in this world because of what they have been able to do. And so the teacher gives us his royal testament. He says, I have been a great king. I've been one of the greatest kings Jerusalem has ever seen. And look at all that I have done. I have built houses. I have planted vineyards. I have gained great wisdom I have gained great wealth. Look at all of the slaves that I had. Look at all of the musicians I was able to hire. Look at all that I have accomplished. But then what does the teacher do with the Royal Testament? He subverts it, right? He turns it on its head. He says, look at what I've accomplished. Is the result of that significance... Is the result of that worth? Is the result of that value? No. All that I have done, the result is our friend from last week, Hevel. Remember, Hevel is this Hebrew word that's often translated vanity or meaningless, but it means mist or smoke or fog. And so the teacher steps back from his time-lapse video and he says, all of that was just me trying to hug the wind. And he shows us his video. He shows us his quest for significance. Not to impress us, but to teach us. To teach us that if we want satisfaction from our accomplishment, from all our efforts and activities, if we want satisfaction from that, we will be left hungry. We came to the end of the video that we watched last Sunday. The deck wasn't done, right? (laughs) It's it's very fitting for the message of Ecclesiastes. And what I want us to do this morning for a few moments is to ask a couple of questions about this message that the teacher gives to us. The message that our accomplishments cannot satisfy us. So first of all, why? Why don't our efforts, our activities in this world, fill us up? And then secondly, how do we live with that? How do we live with that message? Okay, so first of all, why? 
I think the teacher points us to two basic reasons why our accomplishments do not satisfy. The first is found in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. He's saying, There is something wrong with the world that you are not able to make right. There is a brokenness in the world that you don't have an expertise to repair. You might be able to finish the deck downstairs, but it will eventually fall into disrepair. And there is no way for us to avoid that slippage. And if that wasn't bad enough, he takes us to an even darker place. He gives us a second reason why our accomplishments don't satisfy. In chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he's talking about the value of wisdom. And he says, wisdom is better than folly. Wisdom is a good thing. But wisdom is not enough. Because he says the same thing happens to the wise and the fool. Right? They both die. Because of that, the teacher says, I hated my toil. In the first part of the passage, he talks about giving his heart to things. He gives his heart to wisdom. He gives his heart to wine. He gives his heart to work. And then he comes to the end of all of that giving, and in verse 20 of chapter 2, he says, I turned and I gave my heart to despair. Why? Because the world is a crooked place. And because of the reality of death. That even if you build a good life, you die. And you have to give it to someone who might be a fool and might ruin it all. Now these two, these two reasons, crookedness and death, are connected by one event. And it is, the, it is an event that sits under the surface of this whole book. And it's an event that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, so right at the beginning of the Bible, God makes Adam and Eve and He puts them in His creation, and He gives them the responsibility of cultivating His creation, of ruling over His creation and bringing life out of it. He makes them to work and to enjoy the work that He has given them to do. And there is no crookedness, and there is no death. But Adam and Eve are not satisfied with this. They want more. They reject the limits that God has placed on them. They reject His design. They rebel against Him. And so God curses them. He judges them. And He judges the world because of them. And in His curse, He says, Now, because of your sin, there will be death. And your work, your toil, will be frustrated. You will grow to hate it. You will struggle with it. And in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, the early Christian leader Paul looks back at that event in Genesis chapter 3, and he says, because of sin, God has subjected the world to futility. Futility is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word hevel. God has subjected the world to mist, to smoke, that when you try to get gain out of it, 
you will be frustrated. Do you ever get mad at the dishes? I do. You finish a good meal, you're ready to relax with the family, and you look into the kitchen and it's chaos. Right? We cannot do even the most basic human activity without making a mess. And if you fix that mess one night, it will be right there the next morning. What is that? What is that experience? It's the reality that the teacher in Ecclesiastes is forcing us to face. It is the reality of a world that is crooked that we are not able to make straight. And remember, these are good words. These are the words of a shepherd. And they are sharp, but they are intended to point us in a good direction. But we will never head in that direction unless we know and embrace the truth, the difficult truth that the teacher wants us to see. That the world is broken, that death is a reality that we cannot overcome. But we don't want to deal with that. We want to push that out into the margins. and we, So we give ourselves to all the activities of our lives. We give ourselves, we consume ourselves in our careers, in our studies, in our pursuit of entertainment, in our relationships. And all we're doing is we're trying to push death to the margins and ignore it. We want to pretend that it doesn't exist. We want to pretend that we might be able, maybe finally, we might be able to fix what is wrong with us and what is wrong with the world. And then we layer on these efforts religious and spiritual language. We want to do big things for God. And if we could just adjust our technique enough, and if we could just do a little bit more, we might finally be able to fix it. And we might be able to feed our hunger. And the teacher says no. He will not let us live in that illusion. He brings us back again and again to the reality of what our world is and how our lives will end. And he says, you must own this. You must face this. You must deal with this. If you live in a world that is crooked, if you live in a world full of death. What do we do with that? How do we respond to that message? Second major question. How do we live with this message of futility, of a broken world that is full of death? How do we live in that? Well, there is a tension in our passage. It's almost a contradiction. Because the teacher shows us his despair... And then he turns to us and says, enjoy. Look again at verse 24 of chapter 2. 
chapter 2, verse 24. This is after he's taken us through his video. He's shown us his time-lapse video. He's told us his story of despair. And then he says in verse 24, There is nothing for a per- better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. He says, look at my life, look at my quest, look at my video, and learn from it. Learn not hatred, but joy. Learn delight in food and drink and work. Learn to delight in those things because of what I have done. How is that possible? Well, keep reading. I stopped in the middle of verse 24. He says you should find enjoyment in his toil. He says, this also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have any enjoyment? In the middle of the mist, we can find joy in things like food, drink, and work because they come to us as gifts. They come to us as gifts from God. Do do you see the shift in perspective? In the first part of the passage, it's all about profit. It's all about wage. It is what can I squeeze out of my existence. And then in verse 24, it becomes not about wage, but about gift. It's not, what can I get out of my life? It's how can I receive my life from God? You see, the teacher, he's taking our hands, and he is brushing out all the crumbs. And he's saying, look, look, your hands are empty And he does that so that he can teach us how our hands can be open. The movement of this passage from the quest of the teacher to his teaching about how we should respond to the quest is a movement from empty-handed to open-handed. He is teaching us how to stand before God with grateful and open hands. And so the way to live in the midst is not to try to grab the wind and satisfy yourself with it. It is to sit at the table and receive food, drink, and work as good gifts from God. Now, this is the Bible, okay? This is the Spirit-inspired revelation of God that tells you to enjoy your life. And not just the spiritual stuff. This isn't a message of denial. You can't say that about the book of Ecclesiastes. This is not a message of denial. But it is a message that trains us in grateful attention to the good things that God has put in our lives. And this is not Ecclesiastes just being a heretic. 
Okay? Deuteronomy. Very serious, very orthodox book of the Old Testament. Not this funky Ecclesiastes stuff. This is God's law. This is God's teaching His people who they should be. And He's instructing them in chapter 14 of Deuteronomy how they should worship Him. And He says, one of the ways I want you to worship Me is I want you to take a portion of what you own. And usually that means crops, that means a harvest, and it means a herd of animals. And I want you to take a portion of that, God says to His people, and I want you to bring it every year to the city that I'm going to choose, to Jerusalem, to the temple, and I want you to take that portion of what you own, and I don't want you to burn it. And I don't want you to pour it out like you usually do in the sacrifices. I want you to cook it. And I want you to sit down with your family and with the priests and I want you to eat in my presence. And that's not all God says. He says if it's too far for you to carry that portion with you, that's fine, sell it. Bring the money with you, come to Jerusalem, and buy, and I'm I'm quoting directly here, buy whatever your heart desires. If you want steak, buy an oxen. If you want lamb shank, buy a sheep. And don't stop there. Buy wine and buy strong drink. Bring it to my presence at the temple. Don't pour it out. Sit down at the table. Share it with the priest. Bring your family and friends. Sit down in my presence and eat and drink and rejoice because of my goodness. Understand, God says, buy the best bourbon you can afford and drink it in my presence. Now, I know there are different religious and cultural stances towards alcohol, so don't make that the main message. The main message is, can you enjoy the gifts of God before Him? Do you trust the grace of God enough to enjoy His gifts? My wife recently found a Groupon for Liam's, really nice restaurant in Thomasville. And so on Friday, I blew off work early. All right, we packed the kids up in the van, we drove to Thomasville, we left them with my parents. And we went, and we sat at Liam's, and we enjoyed a delicious meal and a great time together. You know what I was doing? I was preemptively applying my sermon. (laughs) I sat there and thanked God for Groupon, for good food, for my wife, and for grandparents who love my kids. Some people say that they, did, they don't appreciate their parents until they become parents. I didn't appreciate grandparents until I became a parent. They are a gift from God when they enjoy your children. Sat there and enjoyed those things in gratitude because of what God was teaching me through the book of Ecclesiastes. That the one of the ways we worship Him is to enjoy His gifts with gratitude. 
Do you trust the grace of God enough to enjoy His gifts? Frankly, the implication of this Spirit-inspired revelation from God for some of you, not for all of you, but for some of you, is that you need to chill out and learn to delight in the good things that God has brought into your life. Yeah, there are struggles, there are problems, but there are gifts as well. Can you with gratitude see those? Now I hear you, Jonathan, wait a second, what about overindulgence? What about addiction? What about abuse? What about the workaholic who enjoys his work too much? What about overindulgence? And that's a good concern, and it's a legitimate concern, but you know what? You know the reason that we overindulge? It's because we are living from the perspective of wage rather than gift. It is because we look at an experience, whether it's our career or a party, and we think that we have to grab hold of that and squeeze every last bit of worth and significance from it. That's what leads to overindulgence. And the way to deal with that is to learn to view our lives as a gift that I don't have to squeeze worth out of this experience. I can sit down at the table. I can sit down with open hands and enjoy the goodness of what God has given to me. But still, what about our hunger? What about our longing to be satisfied with accomplishments? Because while the teacher does say you can have joy in food, drink, and work, he still comes to the end of our text and pronounces his benediction of heaven. He says this also is vanity. This also is mist. You can enjoy those things, but they will not finally and lastingly satisfy you. To deal with that, we have to know that God's generosity doesn't stop with food, drink, and work. But God's generosity culminates in the gift of His Son, Jesus. And satisfaction comes to us not from what we can accomplish. It comes to us because of what God has accomplished for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, some very religious and ambitious people come to Jesus. And they come hungry for satisfaction. They come and they ask Jesus, what do we do? What should we do to do the works of God? We want to do big things for God. What should we do? Jesus looks at them and he says, the work of God is to believe in the one whom God has sent. The satisfaction of accomplishment is to rest in what Jesus has done for us. And that is what teaches us freedom. That is what frees us to enjoy the goodness of our life because we no longer have to feed ourselves on the wind. We can feast on the grace 
God that He has shown to us in Jesus Christ. When we watched that time-lapse video last week, Hungry for Accomplishment, what did our children do? You remember? We watched these men at work and our children laughed at them. You hear my daughter Georgia saying over and over again, Look at them, they're going so fast! <laughs> what Ecclesiastes teaches us. It's what the gospel teaches us. It is to look at our, all of our activities, to understand that they will not fulfill us, but in them to find delight. Because we can find satisfaction in what Jesus has done for us. So life is a mist all of your activities chasing smoke. But in the middle of the mist, there is a table. And it is a table that not only includes the good gifts of food and drink and work, it is a table that is spread with the grace of God, that is spread and full of the life that He gives to us in Jesus. Let's pray.